away this morning, uh, we're in an easier passage. Important, but easier. 13 through 17. Let us hear God's word. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. And again, that is God's precious, holy, inspired word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. What a rich treasure it is. Father, we've talked lots this morning about our blessings, about the blessings of knowing you and the blessings that we receive from the Holy Spirit. We know one of the richest blessings ever given to man is what we're holding in our laps this morning. That is your holy word. Father, you have chosen by your good grace to reveal some of yourself to us and and your will to us. And I pray that we would treasure it, that we would delight ourselves in it. And I pray this morning you would speak to our hearts through it, that we might be pointed to Jesus. We ask these things in his name. Amen. Well, we've talked a good bit lately about how so many Christians in so many parts of the world are being crucified, are being persecuted for their faith. We have been praying for believers in uh, the Middle East, in North Africa, in North Korea, and other places around the world where they're suffering persecution because of their faith. Uh, There is an increasing sense of hostility toward biblical Christianity, not just in places over there, but more and more in places closer to home. Here in the Western world, there is an increasing sense of hostility to the Christian faith. More and more Christians are falling out of favor with the culture in which we live. Now, there is certainly... Uh, very little of what we would call overt persecution in our country compared to the vast persecution that many believers are going through in other parts of the world. But there is a gradual elimination of God from the culture in which we live and an increasing sense of hostility toward those who believe in God and who seek to follow his commandments. Now, the way things are going, and as rapidly as they are going, It's likely, I believe, that in the coming days, Christians everywhere will experience increasing hostility because of their faith. And one of the responsibilities given to pastors is to prepare you for that eventuality. Well, Peter wrote this letter to people who were facing very similar situations. Uh, People who were going through what he called, in this book, a fiery ordeal and whose faith he describes as being tested by fire. 
They, they were sharing, he says in the book, the sufferings of Christ. They were being reviled for the name of Christ. And they suffered. Suffered simply for the fact they bore the name of Christ and were called Christians. Now, here in this passage, Peter is talking about how we are to deal with that. How we're to bear up under times of persecution because of our faith and how we can make a defense of our faith in Jesus Christ. There are two ways that he gives us in this passage. One is by what we do, and the other is by what we say. And that's how I'm going to come at this passage this morning, simply looking at those two ways God gives us, or God calls on us, to defend our faith. One is by our actions, and the other is by our words. And so first, this morning, Peter describes how we are to defend our faith by our actions, or by the way that we live. You know, Jesus says the way you tell a believer is by the difference their faith makes in their life. Jesus said it's by their fruit. You will know them. We're known by the fruit that our lives produce or bear. You know, someone may uh, claim to trust in Jesus, but if their life is in opposition to what the Bible teaches... And what Jesus requires of us. Then it will be very difficult for him to defend. What faith he claims to have. You see there must be a conformity. Between what we. That we claim to be in Christ. And how we live for Christ. And if there is a dichotomy between those two. There is a dichotomy between what we claim. In relation to Christ. And how we live out our lives before Christ. And there is a serious problem. Now there's a rhetorical question in verse 13 that Peter gives us. And it is this. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Now again we're looking at this in the context of persecution of Christians. I said last week that the path of obedience is the most secure path you can choose. The straight and narrow path is the way of blessing. Reminds me of what uh, Paul said in Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who is against us? I want you to look at Psalm 118 with me for just a moment. If you have your Bibles, hang you, keep your finger in 1 Peter chapter 3. And go back to Psalm 118. I'll look at verses 6 through 8, where the psalmist says this, The Lord is for me, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore I will look with satisfaction on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. When is it that you feel most secure? In your relationship with God. Isn't it when you're on the path of obedience. When you are as Peter describes here. Zealous. For what is good. 
This phrase, to be zealous for what is good, means to pursue a life of generosity, kindness, thoughtfulness. Well, let's be honest, it's, it's a life of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and all the rest. It's living a godly life. And Peter asks, if you're living that way, if your life is directed there, if you are really zealous for what is good, then who is there to harm you? And the obvious answer is no one. Now, as we'll see in just a moment, that doesn't mean that if you walk in obedience, you will never be rejected by your friends, or you'll never be laughed at by your enemies, or you'll never be challenged by those who disagree with you, or you'll never be avoided by those who don't want to spend time with you. But the point is, what does it matter? What does it matter? If you're zealous for what is good, If you're living your life seeking the Lord, it doesn't really matter, does it? If other people reject you, laugh at you, challenge you, scoff at you. Because they cannot attack what is the most precious. Jesus said, don't fear those who can only do harm to the physical side. You fear the one who is in charge of the spiritual side. Because even if you go the ultimate length, even if you become a martyr for your faith, you still win. And that's what Peter goes on to say, I think, in verse 14, where he says, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Then he says a similar thing in verse 17. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Now, look at what Peter is saying there. He's admitting that suffering for your faith is a real possibility. In verse 14, he talks about suffering for the sake of righteousness. In verse 17, it's suffering for doing what is good. Or doing what is right. And he says, when you suffer that way, when you suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. You see, suffering for righteousness is not a bad thing, it's a good thing. Now I want you to go over, keep your finger in 1 Peter 3 again, and go with me to, to Matthew chapter 5. And this is a very familiar uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount. The words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, where Jesus said this, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way... They persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see, not only is the path of obedience the path of blessing, but also suffering for righteousness is the path of blessing. Jesus said it. Blessed are you if 
you are persecuted. Peter says it here in verse 14. Even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Now, I referred to verse 17 earlier. And Peter makes it clear that this is suffering for righteousness. Suffering for doing what is good. There is no blessing. When you suffer for doing the wrong thing. Break the law, go to jail, no blessing of that. If you do what's wrong, disobey God, disobey the civil law, suffer consequences for it, no blessing in that. The blessing is that when you do what is right, and then you suffer what is wrong, when you pursue righteousness and you suffer something Because of it. Now Peter goes on to say in verse 14. Do not be. Do not fear their intimidation. And do not be. Troubled. That's an allusion. To a passage from. Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah was. Preaching to Judah. The southern kingdom. Israel and Syria. The northern and to the north. Have made an alliance to come against Judah. And Judah was afraid. And God, through Isaiah, told the people, do not fear what they fear. Do not look to yourself, but look to me. Fear me, and I will give you peace and rest. And so, that admonition comes to us here. When, when someone comes at you because of your faith, if someone mocks you, ridicules you, embarrasses you, insults you because of your faith, do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. You see, our fear is not to be of men, but our fear is to be of God. And we've, we've seen in our, our study in Proverbs on, on Wednesday nights that the fear of the Lord is one of the basic Fundamental principles of life. If you're going to get life right, you've got to get that right. If you live your life in the fear of men, it's going to be a long, hard life. But if you live your life in the fear of the Lord, you know, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And it is the fear of the Lord that leads us down this path of obedience. I hope you're kind of seeing how it all kind of ties together. We're talking here about defending your faith by how you live. Living a life of obedience. Pursuing righteousness. And realizing that you may suffer negatively because of it, but you're not to fear. Because your obedience comes from with fear of God. And your greater fear is to displease Him than to displease those around you. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. One of the strongest defenses that you make of your faith is how you live. 
It is true. Sometimes actions speak louder than words. And the course of your life makes a strong defense of your faith. But there's a, a second way we defend our faith. And it's not just how we live, but by what we say. And I, and I would propose to you that the order here is correct. That the way in which you live your life gives credence to what you say. I talked earlier about this disconnect between faith and life. And if you're a professing Christian, but there's no real evidence in your life of a change, a transformation, no, new, no real desire to, to live for God, then, you know, you've got to question the reality of your faith, don't you? That's what Jesus says. It's by their fruit. It's by their fruit. You will know them. It's not simply by what we say, as important as that is. But it's how what we say makes a difference in our lives. And so our obedience is crucial because it verifies the reality of our profession of faith in Christ. It's as we, again, as we walk the talk, as we do what we say, as we live out what we teach, that we're best able to defend our faith. If you're trying to defend your faith before unbelievers and they see in your life a real inconsistency between what you say and what you do, it's going to be real hard to defend your faith. So we move now to what, how we defend our, our faith by what we say. Now, verse 15. Probably if I were to ask you, what is the most familiar verse in 1 Peter? Many of you would turn to this verse. 1 Peter 3.15. It's often used in what we know as apologetics. Stephen taught a course on apologetics here. In the, and this was his kind of base verse from which he taught that whole course. Now apologetics is not apologizing for your faith. But it is making a defense of your faith. Look at what Peter says here. Verse 15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. That word defense in verse 15 is the Greek word apologia, which means to give a defense. It doesn't mean to apologize for something, to say you're sorry for something, but in the Greek, many times it was used for a formal defense made in a court of law. Paul used the word that way in 2 Timothy, where he said, At my first defense, at my first apologia, no one supported me. I had to make that defense of my faith alone. Now, there's a lot here in this verse. I want to just draw out a few things from it for you. But notice that Peter says that if you're going to make an adequate defense of your faith, if you're going to talk about what you believe and why you believe it, then he says you have to first sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Now what does that mean? There's a lot of confusion in the church today over the Lordship of Christ. You see, we don't make Jesus Lord. He is Lord. 
The way you live your life does not determine whether Jesus is Lord or not. What it shows is whether you acknowledge His Lordship in your life. Whether you submit to Him as Lord. You see, to sanctify means to set apart, to consecrate. Here it means to give Jesus first place in your life, or as Jesus Himself said, to seek first the kingdom of God. You see, when we come to Jesus, when we're brought to Jesus, we not only take Him as our Savior, but also as our Lord. You cannot receive the benefits of salvation without also taking on the obligations of salvation. Now, we don't always live this way, do we? We're going to have a show of hands of everyone who fails every day at some time to sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. I'll be the first to raise my hand. But that's, God is going to be right behind me. I thought you were going to be ahead of me, Dottie. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. That's to be our goal. That's what we want to get, people. We want to live moment by moment, don't we? Day by day under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I think what Peter's saying here is the more you sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, the more you live under His Lordship, the more you seek his kingdom more than anything else, the easier it is going to be for you to defend your faith and the more credibility you're going to have as you talk about your faith in Jesus Christ. That's why he says, be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you. To give an account for the hope that is in you. If you live your life for Christ, if you are living under the Lordship of Christ, people are going to react to it. Now, we've already talked about how some people will react negatively. They're, they're going to reject you, they're going to alienate you, they're going to scoff at you. That's persecution. But other people are going to be curious. If you really live out your faith, wherever God places you, some are going to be curious. And they want to know, what is it? What is it that makes you different? Where is it that you get your values? How is it that you set your priorities? How is it that you're able to deal with this difficult time with such peace? How are you to live... How are you able to live through this difficult period in your life with such joy? So Peter says, look, you be ready. Live out your life before a watching world. Live in obedience. Pursue righteousness. Seek for the kingdom. And you be ready. You be ready. When anyone asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. I think that really is the key focus here. So be ready. Be ready. Whenever anyone should ask, what is it about you? What is it about your faith? You be ready. 
Now, I want to make clear, you don't have to be ready to give a defense of some theological system. You don't have to be ready to teach a class. You don't have to be ready to explain some doctrinal position held by this church or any other church. Just be ready to know what you believe and why you believe it. That you're saved and how you were saved. What you are seeking in life and why you're seeking it. Be ready, he says, to give a defense of your faith. But I want you to notice at the end of verse 15 how we're to give that defense. It's to be with gentleness and reverence. I think a lot of Christians start, stop reading before they get to that little last phrase of verse 15. Look, we can't hound anybody into heaven. You can't be belligerent and convince anyone to believe in Jesus. But if you're gentle and respectful, it'll go a long way to them listening to what you have to say about Jesus. So the admonition is be ready always to make a defense to anyone who asks you about the hope that is in you, and yet you do it. You do it respectfully. And you do it gently. Now, he talks about one other thing that I want to address in verse 16 before we conclude. And that has to do with your conscience. A big step in in being able to defend your faith has to do with the condition of your conscience before the Lord. Look at verse 16. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Your conscience is what God uses to rebuke you when you're wrong and to approve you when you're right. Now, your conscience is not an infallible guide, but it's an important guide. And you know how it is when your conscience is bad. When you've got a guilty conscience, it's really hard, isn't it? It's really hard to present the claim of, claims of Christ or to defend your faith. I don't know about you, but when I've got a guilty conscience, man, I am, I am wary. You know, we're going to find that in Proverbs, how a guilty person, someone who's guilty, is always looking over their shoulder, trying to see who's aware of their sin. A guilty conscience holds you back. A guilty conscience keeps you from moving forward and advancing the gospel. But a clear conscience enables you to be bold in presenting your faith. A clear conscience allows you to to go ahead and, and step out in faith and explain what you believe. And if someone ridicules you, Peter says in this verse, because your behavior, they're put to shame and not you. Because you're in the right and they're in the wrong. And when your conscience is good and you know that you are in the right, then you're going to stand boldly. 
If your conscience is not clear and you're uncertain and then you're challenged, then you're liable to regress. Proverbs says the wicked flee even when no one is looking. The unrighteous, the disobedient run, but the righteous are bold as a lion. And so your defense of your faith comes in these two ways. By what you do and what you say, how you live and the words that you proclaim. And so my encouragement to you today is this. Get both of those right. Do what is good. Seek righteousness. And be ready. Be ready. When anyone asks for you to give a defense of the hope that is in you, and I guarantee you, God will give you the grace to do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this challenge given here to us in First Peter. And I pray that you would help us to live lives that are consistent with what we profess to believe. And that our lives would be a testimony to the power of the gospel. And we'd always be ready to tell others why we're different from them. Oh, Father, help us to do it with gentleness and reverence. For your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.